Welcome back, everyone, to Cards of the Octagon. Thank you guys for listening so much. This is episode number two. Please do not forget to follow our YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Cards of the Octagon, and our Twitter, uh, which is at Cards Octagon. Twitter doesn't allow 15 characters. Kind of a bummer. And then follow the Instagram at Cards of the Octagon. Um we're going to be producing a lot of content on both YouTube and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we're going to try to balance all of them out, including the podcast. Uh, so they'll kind of supplement each other in a way. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for all the new interviews, all the new pack openings. It's nothing but uphill from here and all excitement and all um, new content and all kinds of stuff. Uh, we just wanted to be to let you guys know that we are super thankful for the response and support on the first episode. You guys blew it out of the water. You exceeded our expectations. Um, I'm glad you guys are loving it because we're loving making this and we're excited to continue doing this. So as long as you guys are excited to listen, we're excited to talk. So yeah, this is only the beginning. For this episode, we're going to be talking about the potential 2023 Panini rookies, uh, recent UFC news, Sean O'Malley's market heading into his fight, and the preview for this week's uh, fight night. Uh, again, our amazing hosts are Devin314 Sports Cards and Gavin All Time Cards. Take it away, guys. Thanks, Fod. That was a great intro, as always. Uh, again, as Fod said, we're very excited with the reception we've gotten so far and excited to, to keep doing this. It's going to be a big part of our lives for a long time going forward. So, I guess we'll jump right into it. Segment number one, we're going to be dis- discuss- dis- discussing the potential 2023 rookie cards in Panini. Uh, it's been a good year of debuts, a uh, pretty solid year, I would say, of, of debut fighters in the UFC. Uh, maybe no one that's, like, got the UFC by storm, per se, but a lot of good, solid rookies, and a lot of fighters that don't have cards yet. Um, I think some of the bigger names we might see in this rookie class next year, starting in probably what might, might be 2023 Prism, uh, could be Bo Nickel, Muhammad Mokayev, Jack Della Maddalena, Aaron Blanchfield, it's a handful of older ones as well, but it's pretty cool because a lot of these fighters, Nickel, Mokayev, uh, Blanchfield, they all have fights coming up, so I think we'll get a good sense of who these people are, who these fighters are, and where their cards might be when 2023 UFC products start coming out. Yeah, for sure. It's very exciting to see all these new prospects, and now that they don't have any cards and current product, they're either coming out of uh, Dana White's Contender Series or on a lower-level circuit. Now they're finally hitting the UFC scene. Um, like you said, we've got Muhammad, who's getting a fight. Bo's got a fight. We've also got Aaron uh, Blunkenfield and Molly McCann. And then we've also got Pfeiffer that may have a fight coming up. Alex Piera fighting Izzy. So with their cards potentially coming in next year's product, hopefully Prism first, it's going to be very exciting because with these fights coming up with most of them that they have scheduled, we could see an explosion on a market of a certain rookie if the product comes out after they get a big win, such as Alex versus Izzy. Yeah, it might be interesting to see because I believe Prism last year, 2020, or this year's 2022 Prism came out, and I want to say it was late February maybe. Um, so there was still some time for fighters to fight in 2022 before Prism came out, which is the first release of Panini of the year. So it's possible that, for example, if Bo Nickel wins at 282 on on December 10th, he may turn around to fight in early February, for example, and have two wins under his belt 
by the time his first cards come out, you know, out of a pack at least. So a lot of stuff to kind of look at in here. I think it could be really fun to see, you know, guys like Nickel and Mokai, these undefeated Phenom kind of fighters. Mokai had a big amateur fighting career. I believe he was the amateur champion of mixed martial arts for his weight class. So a lot of excitement, a lot of cool names. The last couple of months, they're going to have cards in 2023. Yeah, I'm very excited just to highlight some of them specifically. We've got Mikhaev that you touched on a little bit. Um, he's actually on UFC 280, which is coming up, potentially the most stacked card of the year. So for him to be that, that's his first big, big card to be on, and then potentially having his first rookie card and product. I mean, his market, like I said, might explode if he gets a big win. He's also, like you said, a phenomenal athlete and extremely talented. He's one of those guys that are extremely fun to watch. So if we see him... I don't know, do something crazy, get a first round knockout or something, and he gets a rookie card next year, early next year, and then gets another fight, like you said, more wins under his belt. I mean, market's pretty pretty amazing with him on there. And also with Jack Della, uh, they just announced that Australia, we're coming to Australia, UFC's coming to Australia. So Jack Della might might be on that Australian card. So that might bring even more hype to his market when he gets his rookie out next year. Um, as well with Aaron Blankenfield and Molly. We all know Molly, Patty's best friend, exploded on the scene. She's very talented, crazy spinning back fist slash elbow KOs. So everybody's excited for her. She's another one, doesn't have a rookie yet, so we might see the next year's product. So if she gets a big win or on the opposing side, if Aaron, who also doesn't have a rookie in any product, if she gets a big win, upsets Molly, both of them have extremely high potential in the market as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I kind of, Gavin and I kind of worked on a list of sorts of fighters that we kind of want to see in 2023, Panini products as rookies. Of course, we had Bo Nickel, Mokayev. Uh, one guy I'm very high on at, at heavyweight is Jelton Almeida. You have Della Madalena, Aaron Blanchfield, Joe Pfeiffer, uh, Jeremiah Wells, a little bit older of a fighter, but he's had a great run. Knocked out Court McGee his last time out. Very exciting fighter in that division. Of course, Alex Pereira, Carlos Olberg, one of Asanya's training partners. Chris Curtis has no cards yet. Uh, Kyle Borayo. Uh, Terrence McKinney. I mean, we haven't had any Terrence McKinney cards, I don't believe, as of yet either. Exciting to see some of his stuff maybe coming out. Mohamed Usman, the tough winner at heavyweight. The older brother, or sorry, brother of Kamaru Usman. He uh, could be a good heavyweight contender in the near future as well. We also have Abus Magomedov, Chris Barnett, Javid Basharat. And then some veterans like Damon Jackson, Chidi and Joe Kuani, Gregory Rodriguez, guys that maybe had a lot of amateur fights, a lot of regional pro fights, but have had some good luck so far in the UFC. Um, other names, Jonathan Pierce, Michael Morales, uh, Manuel Torres, Charles Jordan as well. So it's kind of a really good overall list. Um, and of course, it's, it's headlined by Bo Nickel and Mokayev, in my opinion. Uh, Madalena's there as well, I think, but... A lot of good overall names that could be in the products. Maybe not one, you know, Chimai of caliber generational talent, at least for now. But a, a lot of good names, a lot of good rookies. And a lot of rookies that may only have more than one or two fights. So a lot of guys that could be by low candidates when their cards come out. Yeah, for sure. I think the only one that might just like absolutely explode on the market and be maybe that Hamzat value rookie card coming out next year is if Alex Pereira beats Izzy and wins the belt as a rookie and a product. I think, I don't know if we've actually ever seen that before for a rookie card as far as UFC goes. So, I mean, I mean, if it's their first rookie coming off one of their first big, big fights, title shot, if he gets the belt, I think 
his cards will absolutely be insane as his first prism rookie yeah it's a great point i mean he might be the he might be the title holder or the in a champion when his first card comes out that's kind of a a crazy thing to think about in some regard but yeah i mean i think i believe michael chandler if he would have beaten Oliveira last last spring he only had one card out in prism at that point so there was still some time or two springs ago i guess but he ended up losing and then his select stuff came out as well but yeah i mean this will be his first card he could be champion when that comes out i guess for sure yeah i think what's really cool about this as well is like we do have a pretty big list of not like i guess we don't know yet like once in a lifetime athletes coming out of this rookie class but i think what's really cool is with the growth of dana white's contender series a lot of these rookies are coming out of these recent series of Dana White's Contender Series. So the growth of that show and uh, competition that's been going on there, and people are being more interested in watching that when there aren't fights on, since it's on Tuesday, everybody's watching that on Tuesday. So seeing Bo Nickel growing, I mean, he had his collegiate fans, but since he moved over to Dana White's Contender Series, earns a contract, gets his name out there even more into the UFC world. Same thing with Jack Della, massive contract on Dana White. He got it. So I think the growth of Dana White's Contender Series, that happening before the product comes out, since they might not have a fight scheduled, some of them do, but some of them may not, um, since they were able to fight on a bigger scale, which is Dana White's Contender Series, I think that'll also help their market as well. Yeah, and I would uh, say that this is purely speculation. Uh, We don't know if these guys will have rookies in those products, just guys that are fighters that we think might have rookies. So uh, I think it's a pretty good idea, though. I mean, I think we'll... We'll definitely see a Bo Nickel, definitely see a Mokayev, Blanchfield, Madalena. The other ones, you know, may or may not be there, but we could probably assume that they would be. Yeah, that's kind of you know, what I was about to ask. Um, do you guys think there could be like, a, and I know technically like there's different rules with licenses for like Prism or Panini to make UFC products, but could there be like a Panini Dana White Contender Series product possibly? Or is that just out of the question completely? I think it's tough because if you fight in the contender series and you do well and you win, you're probably signed to the UFC. So I think, you know, it's, it, I guess what you're saying, Faz, is if they make like a prospect kind of UFC product, I guess. Yeah, um, kind of in that way. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be cool to see other promotions get products. I think the PFL signed a deal with Upper Deck, I think, in the summertime. They have a set coming out, I believe, in a couple of weeks. It's like a box set. But they have randomly inserted numbered cards and randomly inserted autograph cards too. So the PFL, pretty big promotion, probably number two, number three in the world. Uh, it's on East Penn during the week as well, as we said last time on the show. Um, but you'll get fighters like Kayla Harrison and Bubba Jenkins and these, you know, really good fighters, Chris Wade maybe. So these fighters that are pretty talented but aren't in the UFC, but maybe they'll be in the UFC at one point. Maybe they'll keep winning in PFL. Um, so I think it would be cool to see other promotions like the PFL with Upper Deck now get into cards. Maybe we see some Bellator cards. Maybe we see some, you know, Ryzen or One cards in Asia, maybe. You know, kind of have some different cards, maybe even from different, different manufacturers that aren't just Panini Prism UFC cards. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree, like you said, with everything after you stated that... Um that usually they are going to be signed with the UFC after, um, depending on who the bigger prospect is and if they get signed. So they'll be under that UFC contract. So I think I, I completely agree that maybe focusing on different areas like PFL would be a smarter idea because they do have Panini, I think they're called Panini Instance, um, that they do for the Contender Series people. So I think Bo Nickel was the last one I saw that he got an instant card. So 
they they I guess they do have a little attention to detail, just adding those little cards in. But as far as like a box set goes, I think attacking other leagues like the PFL or something would be way cooler for sure. I think as long as those companies who are making those cards don't go too overboard with it, you know, I think the PFL box sets it'll be like twenty five bucks a set or something. So it's really affordable, a really good way to get cards of PFL fighters, right? You're not spending two hundred bucks a box, for example, of no offense to them, but they're not, they're not in the UFC. They're not bigger names as the UFC fighters are. So it's, it's tricky to get into that if you're not, if you're not being able to get a patty pin with a common record, et cetera. So keeping the price point down in the, the overall range product down too, I think is the best play for those manufacturers that make those different promotion products, I guess. Yeah, 100%. We kind of touched on that last episode with the PFL. Like They've got so much potential and room to grow. So starting at that lower price point, um, with the athletes that they do have in, obviously no Patties or Connors or anything like that. But like we talked on last episode with Tiago Santos and then um, Aspen Ladd joining, I mean, there there is potential there. So definitely, I feel like starting low and then working yourself up in your in your product, get people following, get people buying, get people excited. It's definitely a good way to start. Definitely, and I think it's good for the promotion too. I mean, there are a lot of car people who are probably going to be opening the PFL box sets who maybe have never watched the PFL before. But now we'll start watching the PFL, right? So it's kind of a different way to market themselves in some regard as well, right? You know, people who do Prism UFC and select UFC by Panini products for the UFC releases can now do some PFL ones and start collecting some of their favorite fighters or maybe their newer fighters that they don't know of anymore or they can get to know in a different by a different manufacturer in a different set kind of thing. And uh, where 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 can you watch the PFL again? I believe so PFL is on ESPN. So it actually, I believe when they have the fights on every other every couple of months, it's on mainstream ESPN. I believe the prelims are on ESPN Plus. On I think they're all be like Thursday or Friday night. They have those fights when they do have them. So yeah, it's pretty mainstream. It's probably free to watch. You know, with a Thursday night kind of fight card, no UFC on mm-hmm. at that point. So kind of a fun way to to watch the middle of the week fights for sure. Okay. Yeah. So it's more accessible for people um, generally, like. I know sometimes it's tough for people to like keep up with everything considering like pay-per-views quote unquote, but generally I think like they're a good, a good spot to enter, especially with fight nights coming up too. I will say one thing about PFL too, that they do a really good job of is they know that they, I think they, they recognize that someone who turned into watch the PFL, maybe has never seen the PFL before. Has never seen the fighters they have in the PFL before. So they do a good job before the fights take place of giving background on the fighters, on the the PFL themselves, on the scoring system that they have for the point system and stuff. So you watch the PFL for the, for the first time, you can still have a good time, even though you don't know who the fighters are until you start watching them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, definitely. They're, they're definitely, the PFL, like you said, one thing they're they're doing good is they're executing and attacking on an open market. I mean, the only other bigger market that's out there is the UFC. So they're smart enough to know what their points are that they need to attack on. And I think they're doing a great job starting off already. Definitely. So I think the next segment we're going to cover tonight is uh, Sean O'Malley market. Of course, Sean O'Malley has a big fight on October 22nd versus former title holder Peter Yan. It's going to be a good fight, a good test for both Yan. He can rebound from his loss to Altamain Sterling. And a big test for Sean O'Malley, too. You know, coming of they step up the competition now, top five guy, top, a top three guy, I think, for the matter of fact. So, Gavin, what do you think Sean O'Malley's market is right now going to the big fight? Yeah, man. So, like you said, we've got Sean O'Malley taking on the number one bantamweight contender in the division. 
Um, basically, man, I mean, we've talked about it just us two a couple of times. I mean, I don't think we've ever really seen something like this happen. I mean, a number, I think Sean's 12 now taking on the number one contender. And I think, let me just double check. I'm pretty sure Jan is up there and pound for pound as well. So it, it's crazy. I mean, this step up in competition is insane. Um, so as far as his market goes, I mean, as you would expect, I think if Sean pulls this off, he's going to be the hottest card on the card market. I don't think there's going to be anything to be able to compare to it. If we've got the number 12 guy, everybody's counting out Sean. Sean's obviously got a massive fan base as it is already. But I mean, if he beats the number one contender after being counted out, I'm sure he's the underdog. I mean, he's got to be the hottest card on the market. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you said, Gavin, he's a huge popular fighter as it is. He's 27. He's a big gamer, Twitch guy, whatever. You know, he's... He's fun to watch, knocked out people as always as well. So, like you said, Gavin, I think this is a big test for him. But if he can pass it, you know, maybe with a big, big knockout, uh, yeah, his market could be looking really good and he could be due for, for a title shot, right? I mean, we've kind of been waiting for that a bit. He's had some injuries, had some some tough, you know, to, had the loss to Marlon Vera, but, you know, he's came into the UFC, I believe, in 2017. So, We've kind of been waiting a little bit here, right? He's had some injuries, as I said. He had some loss. I had the one loss. So this is a big, a big fight of his career now and a big test for him to kind of see if he's put it together all the way right now. Yeah, definitely. Do you think, this is what I'm going to ask you, do you think the specific way he wins matters and like how would that affect his card market if you do think it matters how he finishes Jan? I think if he beats Jan really in any non-controversial way, his cards will go up in value for sure. Um, you know, his fans are are very, very diehard for Sean O'Malley. I mean, we saw that with the Peter Munoz fight when that ended, with the Marlon and Vera fight when that one ended. People will always have Sean O'Malley's back for sure. Yeah, that's good. That's good for him, right? It's it's good to have someone who fans can really get attracted to in some regard, right? So I think as long as he beats Jan in a kind of non-controversial way, his card will be very, very hot. I think even if he loses, right? If he loses in a close way too, I mean, as you said, Gavin, it's the number one guy in in the division, right? Number one ranked guy in the division. It's a tough thing to to to, to do, right? Came off of a no contest versus Pedro Munoz to fight the number one ranked guy in the division. It's a big step up right now for sure. And on relatively short notice too, I believe it was three months ago he fought Pedro Munoz. So bit of a short notice fight here, a quick turn on time for this for this fight for Peter Jan. I think either way, if Sean Malley goes out there, lands some punches, has a good fight, we'll, we'll, we'll see his cards trend upward for sure. Yeah, I agree. So, like, what I was going to go at with how he wins, does it matter? I mean, I think it's really hard to pinpoint as far as the card market goes on if the way a fighter wins and how they win drastically inflates their card stock. It's kind of hard to pinpoint, honestly. I mean, Maybe. I think the best thing that I could say is for an example of a market that did kind of, I wouldn't say explode, but it definitely increased after the way that someone won. The last thing I could remember was Michael Chandler and his knockout against uh, Tony Ferguson. One of the most brutal, brutal front kicks I've ever seen in the UFC. I definitely think if that's not the way he would have won that, I mean, his market probably would have went up, but I think the popularity with how someone finishes someone obviously grows 
um, depending on how it is. So with Chandler, the front kick, one of the most brutal, brutal front kicks I've ever seen. I think that obviously probably did affect his market because, I mean, everybody, whenever you got on your phone, if you're a UFC fan, that's the that's the knockout you saw. So if you like cards, obviously you're going to want a Michael Chandler card. So with that being said, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a snowball effect. So, I mean, if Sean Brady goes, or sorry, if Sean O'Malley goes in there and does I don't know, something crazy like a spinning back fist and knocks out Peter Yan in the first uh, first round. I obviously think it would probably just break the card market and hole and just Sean O'Malley would be at the top of the totem pole for a long time. Yeah, and I would almost say too, if he can if he can just dominate Yan even over three full rounds of striking, you know, Peter Yan is regarded as a, one of the best boxers in the UFC. Um, I think if, if Sean O'Malley can demonstrate his his jab and his and his right cross and, and and his great boxing skills as well, and just put a beating on Peter Yan for three full rounds, that would help in my opinion for his market as much as a quick knockout would as well in my opinion. I mean, he could he would show that he's a fully developed technical guy too, not just big power in his right hand. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's just like like I said, it's it's so up in the air right now. I mean. We've seen Sean with his awesome knockouts that he does, but it's also against lower competition can, compared to Peter Yan, who is, I think he's number 12 or 13 pound for pound and the number one in his division. So, I mean, like I said, it, it just depends, man. I mean, I think if, if he does dominate him, obviously all three rounds and it goes to the decision, I think that'll also help his market. If he gets a win, it's going to help his market no matter what. But I think what I also want to get into is if he does lose, do you think he's a big enough star to bounce back from that? Good question. I think it might take some time, but we kind of saw it I, as you were saying about the uh, the Michael Chandler knockout, Gavin. I recall when uh, when Wei Li, when Zhang Wei Li uh, beat Yoana a few months ago, could just a big statement win over Yoana, a, a fighter that she had a very close fight with the first time, the first time that they fought. Uh, but it took Wei Li some time to get back into it, right? And she lost to Rose twice, right? She kind of got to get back into it. Uh, and now she's fighting for, for the title next month in November at, at MSG. So for Sean O'Malley too, I think it's kind of comparable that I think if she, you know, O'Malley's had a couple of high idol losses, had no contest. If he does lose to Peter Yan, it will take some time to build back up. But his name value is always going to be there. His character should be there as well to where he can gain fans back very, very quickly. Similarly to what Willie did, which would be Joanna. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think he's 100% a big enough star to bounce back if he loses. I mean, kid's only 27 years old. That in UFC years is still very young in your career. Usually that's around like your prime, but he's still got such a long career ahead of him. I mean, he's 27. So I think also, I mean, a lot of people from what I've seen around the UFC community, they just, they're counting Sean out. So for a lot of people, the majority, I would say, counting him out in the first place, I think that from the character that I see in Sean O'Malley, I think he would be able to bounce back and be fine after a loss against Peter Yan, to be completely honest. Yeah, I think O'Malley, O'Malley specifically like has such a weird cult following, I would say, where his fans are very diehard to where like... A lot of people are either like, yeah, he's cool, or like, I love him. And I think the people who genuinely like love him and support him will continue loving him, supporting whether or not he wins. Because again, he is like all the way down and he is fighting the number one. Like he is, he's reaching, right? Like it's a, it's a massive reach. 
And I think if he loses, since, like you said, Gavin, since a lot of people do expect him to lose, um, those who, like, like him a lot will be like, it's okay, he was reaching. And those who are, like, kind of indifferent to him in a way or, like, you know, more like he's cool, they're also going to be like, well, you know, the difference was massive, so we understand why he lost kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think, like... You know, he went from a no contest with Pedro Munoz to fighting Peter Jan in three months. Um, so I think, you know, they weren't, I don't think I would call them excuses, but there would be some some sympathy, some sort of, you know, easy way to handle it in some regard if he does lose to Peter Jan in a close fight, for sure. Like, you know, I don't think people are going to be upset with him. He's took a big chance. He lost. He'll get another fight probably next spring and get a win then, and all is well with him in that regard. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I'll keep saying it. I don't think we've ever seen a number 12 guy get the number one contender shot. I, I, in recent UFC, I can't think of a time this has happened. So honestly, for him, I, it's really a win-win in the regard of how I see it. I just, I don't know. Even if he loses, I mean, he's really not losing because this is his chance to prove himself. And even if he does fall short, I mean, he is taking on the number one contender. So like I said, it's kind of just, it's a win-win in my opinion. I think that's why he wanted the fight. And I think that's why Jan even accepted the fight because he wants to test somebody that Jan knows he's an up-and-comer. And I think he wants to put on a show and fight somebody and either, I wouldn't say shut down, but show everybody what Sean O'Malley is really about. Well, in most times, you know, number 12 fights a top five or top three fighter. It's somewhat of a mismatch or not you know it's somewhat of a predictable outcome this fight i'm glad it's happened i'm i'm excited for it and truthfully yeah jan's the proven the more proven at a higher level commodity but i think anything might happen in this fight for sure so i'm actually very excited that they did o'malley versus jan you have jan who who lost aljamain sterling you know trying to bounce back and you have o'malley who was pretty upset with the pedro munoz fight you know upset for a variety of reasons, right? Including the fact that he didn't get a win in that fight. So now I think it's the best time to make this fight, the best time to see if Sean O'Malley, right at this moment, can do it and pick the number one rink guy in the division. And, uh, we'll, and, and we'll see that come, uh, come October 22nd. Yeah, for sure. And just to get into more of Sean's card market, I want to ask you this. Um, if it were you, because I know there's probably people out there that are listening that are fans of the UFC and the card market, obviously. So I know there's probably people out there that might want to dabble into getting some Sean O'Malley cards. And for you personally, would you rather jump into like, say, a Topps Chrome rookie Sean O'Malley from 20, I think it's 2017, 2018? Or would you rather get into a newer Sean O'Malley, like a Sean O'Malley from Panini that's a select gold to 10? Yeah, for me, it's definitely the, the, the 2018 Topps Chrome rookies, whether it be the autograph, which are on card, by the way, or any of the colored, or even the refractor ones are pretty cool as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to me. I mean, I saw that the other day on looking at, looking through eBay completed sales. I mean, his uh, his last couple graded 10 by PSA uh, Chrome autograph rookies were like 800 and, or 850 and 900. The same price you can buy a select gold for, uh, those have sold for. So I'd rather have a graded 10 rookie on card autograph than a raw select gold number 10 for pretty much the same price it's a no-brainer in my book um but of course panini is kind of the new hot toy the new the, the new manufacturer right it's kind of the cool thing to do right now but again for, for me right now it would definitely be the rookie logo either rookie card from top chrome or the rookie auto from top chrome 
Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I think like the explanation that, because I saw the same little the thing going on with Panini's new select gold selling for around the same price point. And I think the thing is, is that Topps is just such an iconic product and brand. It, it, I think it has more of this like untapped potential as far as the market goes with UFC cards. So right now I do like, obviously they are selling the older product and then a newer Sean, depending on what it is, like in our example, the Chrome Rookie, PSA 10, and then a select gold, they are going for around the same price point right now. But as far as long-term investing goes, in my opinion, I believe that, like I said, these tops, these older tops cards have that untapped potential that could eventually explode on, on the market as far as UFC cards go. Um, I know Tops produce UFC cards from like 2009 to 2020. So those older Tops cards, like I said, I think they just have that edge and they're just right on the edge of maybe in a couple years when there's even more collectors in the UFC that people are going to want to go back to the old toy and not the Panini stuff. So like I said, I would probably agree with you and go with the 2018 Chrome Rookie Auto PSA 10 Sean O'Malley. Um, if you're trying to go between that or a gold from select this year, that's just my opinion. But like I said, I think tops is going to be a smarter, smarter way to go long-term. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure we'll touch on it throughout probably the entirety of our, of our existence doing the show, but the USC market in cards right now is, is kind of weird, right? It's kind of up and down. It's kind of, you know, some things make sense. Some things don't make sense. Some things are up and down. Some things are stable, you know, it's, it's kind of a, an odd thing to figure out in some regard. And, and yeah, I mean, to me and you, Gavin, it's the top Kermerke card on card auto grade 10 all day. But for someone who does select in NBA and NFL cards, maybe to them, they want the select gold of O'Malley because it's the same card they have of their favorite football player. Right. So it's kind of an interesting way to do it, but yeah, I mean, to me, I'd rather have the on card auto, but again, it's like, why is the gold selling for that much? Well, maybe it's because they have that in a different sport or different, you know, different color or something they compete for the rainbow um there's always ways and reasons why stuff sells for what it does but trying mm -hmm. to figure out why it does for that way is kind of the tough part of our job i guess yeah to hit on that too i think another explanation to kind of just i guess what i was kind of thinking is the gold selling for an old rookie or the same price as a uh, tops rookie auto PSA 10. i think that since that gold select it's it's more of a it's it's the new, it's more relevant of a product. And I think most, I wouldn't say most, but a lot of people that I've been talking to recently are newer into the UFC card market. And so obviously they probably don't have the knowledge of the older stuff. So with Select and Prism and Donruss being the most accessible for them, uh, getting into the UFC card collecting, obviously they're going to think, oh, let me look up a gold Sean O'Malley from Select this year. Uh, they may not even know that Topps made UFC cards. So I think it's also about accessibility and kind of just what they know and what's relevant right now. I would say if you're more of an OG UFC card collector, obviously you know that Sean has a rookie auto that's on card. Um, so if you're looking for Sean, you'd probably want that over anything else. But someone who's coming in, they've heard of Sean O'Malley. He's got a huge following on Instagram and all social media platforms. And you want to get a Sean O'Malley card. If you look up Sean O'Malley, I guess, if you just look up Sean O'Malley gold, most likely it's going to be a selector prism card. So for those new collectors, I think that's why it's selling around the new, the same price point as a, as a rookie, because it's so relevant and, uh, accessible for new collectors. Yeah, I mean, great point. I mean, you watch, you can Google or look on YouTube or whatever of, of like live breaks of UFC cards and they're all Panini products, right? The top products don't really exist right now for 
breaks and stuff. They're just they're hard to find. They've already been open, right? So someone who's trying to get in, trying to get into UFC cards and YouTube's, you know, UFC break or whatever they they they, they might look up. They'll see Select. They'll see Prism, Chronicles, Don Russ, all of these new Panini products. Probably not going to see much, if not any, unless it's an older video of Topps Chrome, Topps Museum, Topps Knockout, right? It also, is, it also is worth mentioning that the gold is number 10. And they're probably less gold than there are of the Chrome Auto 10s, great, great 10s. But still, again, in my opinion, and as well as yours, Gavin, as I can see, you know, the on-card rookie logo auto, to me, is always going to trump any sort of non-rookie numbered card, for sure. Yeah, uh, exactly. Another question, I, I had a question about this, especially because, you know, with um, these licenses moving from company to company, and I know there's it's all rumors so there isn't like really concrete proof but um with fanatics having purchased tops and there's rumors of them purchasing panini as well yeah putting all that like technically ufc cards will all be under the same umbrella of fanatics um do you think that could affect or like is affecting the market before it even happens where people hear rumors and they're like well, maybe like if they buy both of them, they might like reorganize things where they could potentially bring back tops UFC stuff versus, you know, maybe make since they technically will own the license. Like, I don't know how the legality works of everything, but would they be able to like maybe then make Panini, uh, you know, UFC cards while making tops UFC cards? I think it's super interesting because like a lot of people are also wondering what's going to happen. So these different products with different with the same sport especially with ufc is is a, there's a lot of question marks which i think is fluctuating the market a lot right now yeah definitely i mean you see, i mean we see it in store every day Fahad. like people always ask us what's gonna happen when fanatics officially takes over of tops right and as like you said there there's rumors of fanatics buying opinion as well unconfirmed rumors right now but yeah i mean I, you know i don't know either i'm on a store right we have it's just I've been given some things in one ear, some things in another ear, right? It's kind of trying to, to navigate what I believe it might happen, and that's not much right now. I'd be honest with you. I don't know what I don't know what might happen. Um, you know, there's people saying, well, they might start making Topps Chrome football again, right? Because they bought they have the NFL license starting up sooner than later, and they'll have Topps making football cards again. So, um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think if I think if Fanatics does buy Panini. I would think a lot of the Panini brands would be the first ones to go, and they would put back Topps brands. Um, now I don't know if that might happen or not, but we'll to see. Why? Maybe, why do you? Why do you think that? Well, because Fanatics would own Topps at that point too. Um, oh, so you're they, saying and, they get... and the rights of NFL and NBA without Panini. Oh, so you're saying if they get if they get the license without getting Panini. It's, yeah, this is the problem. I mean, I don't know. It's all speculation, I guess, at this point. But like, because Panini would lose the the licenses before, maybe before they're being sold, potentially. So it's tricky, I, I guess. Yeah, I, um, I get what you mean. I, I I don't think, in my opinion, has a big a big, uh, I guess, thing on the market right now. In my opinion, I think people are just kind of buying what they know. As Gavin said, they're buying what, what they see on YouTube and Facebook. Um, People aren't really buying many topped cards. You know, you look at any, you know, Facebook group of UFC cards. It's all, it's all Panini stuff, right? It's all Panini Select and Chrome uh, and uh, Prisms and stuff, right? eBay, even eBay, which has been around for a long time since, since before Top got the UFC cards out there, 
there's probably more Panini cards than Topps cards on the UFC market on eBay right now, in my opinion, right? So it's just Panini's kind of just taking over the overall view of what UFC cards are. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, I think, like you said, with the, the whole Fanatics thing being so up in the air of what's going to happen and who's going to be able to obtain what, I think that as far as right now, looking at and studying the UFC market, I, I don't see any trends that it's affecting it currently. Maybe I'm missing something, but for from what I've seen, it's not affecting it currently. But as far as the future, I definitely think it would... 100% affect the market. As far as if Tops comes back with UFC, I think that the original, like 2017, 2018 prior Tops UFC is probably going to go up as far as either singles or if they're sealed product. I mean, if you look up sealed product from 2017 Tops Chrome UFC, it's already extremely expensive, way more expensive than it was when it first came out. So uh, with that being said, I think it only makes logist logistical sense that if they come back out with it, the original products are probably going to be more expensive. And we see that with everything. I mean, with current Panini stuff, everybody wants debut Prism because that's the first year Prism. And as if you don't know, debut Prism would be 2021 Prism with UFC. Um, that's more, people want that more than the 2022 Prism because it's the first year it ever came out. It's the debut product. So I think that's kind of going to be a mirroring kind of thing if we do see Fanatics come back out with top stuff as far as UFC goes, that the original tops Chrome, even tops cards, if they just come out with normal tops, I think those will obviously be inflated on the market and people will start wanting that. And I think it's great because I'm a big Topps fan, Topps Chrome fan from early UFC. I love the 2009 Topps UFC stuff. And obviously, 2017 Topps Chrome is one of my favorite UFC products of all time because they've got the on-card autos and everything. But I think, like I said, it's going to draw a whole new light to those older products. As we were hinting on earlier, I mean, the Sean O'Malley kind of situation, if they come back out with Topps Chrome UFC stuff, people are going to be like, oh, let me look up some Topps Chrome stuff. And that's when they're going to start seeing that older stuff. And I think that's going to be where the explosion happens with the original Topps Chrome stuff as far as UFC goes. Yeah, definitely. I think, as you said, Gavin, the more people, you know, hear things and see things, the more they want that. And I think we saw that this year in baseball when Topps brought back Topps pristine baseball. Some of the 03, 804, you know, 15 plus years ago products from Topps pristine went up in value the single ones did because people at top 13 was out again it was the same kind of product it was the same looking gold refractors right so if they make tops chrome ufc in you know three four years whatever it might be from from, from this moment people are going to be looking at tops chrome again and as you said one in the older chrome the 2017 2018 even 2019 tops chrome products for sure yeah and what i've seen with the ufc market and talking to people on streams and stuff as far as the ufc goes i feel like from personal experience and talking to people um, that do collect UFC, their memorabilia or cards, it's it's a very nostalgic kind of sport. And I think it's like that with all collecting and sports or memorabilia, whatever sport you collect. But especially since I kind of I'm only really into UFC stuff, the people I talk to, it's it's a nostalgic kind of thing. So 
I mean, a 2009 Tops GSP rookie, if they come back out with top stuff and this person watched the UFC in 2009, they love GSP, that's their favorite fighter, they've got his rookie card. If they see, oh, Tops is coming back out with UFC stuff and there's an insert in the product that's like a flashback of a, a rookie GSP, obviously that's going to get a whole lot of people into collecting. And it's just about accessibility and nostalgia and what people want. And I think if i'm hoping like you said it's all up in the air fanatics does come back out with tops chrome and tops ufc stuff i'm hoping it happens and i think it would explode the ufc market to a whole nother level definitely that's for sure yeah all right let's jump into the next yeah. segment let's previewing. go fight night this that's saturday right. that's right alexa, alexa grasso got it go ahead. Alexa grasso no, you got it because i'm not pronouncing that name <laughs> alexa grasso takes on vivian arahujo in the Women's flyweight main event, five rounds of five, five minute, five, five minute rounds. <laughs> the main event, uh, co-main event is Jonathan Martinez versus the veteran UFC fighter Cub Swanson. Other highlighted fights on the card include Askar Askarov and Brandon Roy Val. Uh, other good ones also, you know, Sarkunov, Manifield, Maximov, Malkoon. A couple undefeated young fighters as well. Pierre Rodriguez, Tessera, Tyra. Some good fights on this card. You know, it's probably uh, a mid-level fight night. You know, there's the big pay-per-view from Abu Dhabi the week after. And then after three after that, the MSG pay-per-view. I think the November 14th is the pay-per-view from MSG in New York City, which is a big card that's, that's headlined by Alessandra versus Pereira. So kind of a good, you know, a good fight night here. You know, it's I believe it's from the Apex in Las Vegas. So, you know... We'll turn around quickly, head to the to the one Abu Dhabi the weekend after this. But some good fights here. What do you think, Gavin? Yeah, so UFC Vegas 62, I believe. Um, like you said, we've got a whole lot of loaded fights coming in at the end of this year. So this is a great filler. I mean, a lot of people that I've been talking to think it's underwhelming. Usually the fight nights that people think are underwhelming always surprise people. Yes. Uh, you always you already mentioned some of the fighters. So let's start off. Let's do Roy Val and Askarov first. Let's talk about that a little bit. So we've got Roy Val, who's the number five flyweight in the flyweight division, 14 and six. He's coming off of two wins. Um, his two wins that he just had were against Matt Danger Schnell and then Rogerio Bontorin, who I believe is not in the UFC anymore. But with that being said, Royval, um, before those two fights, he lost to Brandon Moreno and Alexander Pantoja, which are two very, very high level fighters in that division. Yeah. So it can't, that's not, you can't really speak too much about that. I mean, losing to Moreno and Pantoja, two very, very big fighters in that division. So, the other thing is Royval does have a win over Kai Car of France, who is actually Askarov's only loss that he's had in the UFC. So with that being said, I think Royval can be a very, very dangerous guy in this fight against Askar Askarov. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this fight because Brandon Raw Dog Royval, as his nickname goes, is a very, very entertaining fighter, nonstop action. His scrambles on the ground are super high level and super high paced. Whereas Askarov is a kind of a more methodical kind of, you know, we look at his numbers here. I mean, he's had, you know, I think three three last wins are all decisions, right? So it's kind of a more methodical, you know, wrestler, jab kind of thrower. So you kind of have that, you know, that exciting, flashy Roy Val versus the slow and steady Askarov mixed for a very good contrasting fight here, I feel like. And as you said, Gavin, it's going to be a really good fight. The winner could be the big spot here, right? I mean, in a in a pretty top-heavy flyweight division, even if, you know, Askarov can beat Roy Val, even with his last fight being a loss, 
he may very well be in the title picture. I mean, he may very well be maybe next in line, even for that matter, after Pantoja fight. So it could be close to see what happens after this fight, but it should be a very good matchup here. I believe that's off 30 years old. And I believe Raval and Raval is 30 as well. So it's two guys that have a lot of years left. Both could be really good fighters in the, in the near future for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's Askarov number four, Royval number five, so very close in rank. Um, before Askarov's last and only loss against Kaikara France, he actually had a win against Alexander Pantoja, who's the replacement in UFC 283, uh, the title Moreno versus Figgy. So that speaks a lot to who Askarov is as well. The thing is, just to get a little deeper dive and breakdown into this fight, is I think uh, I think I'm going to go Askarov is my pick as a winner on this, just because I was looking into some statistics on the two fighters. Askarov averages around two, or sorry, three takedowns per 15 minute, and uh, Royval's takedown defense is only 39%, which I know Royval is very high level on the ground. He does have nine submission wins in his career, so obviously I think Royval. This is the way I see it playing out. I think Royval does get a little comfortable um, with his his technique and his high level ground game. But with Askarov, I mean, Askarov is one of those guys, if you watch his past fights, he just, he stuffs his head into your chest and he just drives it. He just, he backpacks you. It kind of looks like Aljo. I'm not going to say high level wise as Aljo, but he kind of just, he just backpacks you the whole time. And I think if Roy Val thinks he's as comfortable and has a high level on the ground, I think it's probably going to go down in a, in a decision with Askarov winning um, just because I think Askarov's going to score a whole lot of takedowns and I think he's going to win on a unanimous decision in that fight. What do you think? Yeah, I kind of went back and forth on this fight in terms of picking the winner. I ended up going with Roy Val via submission. Uh, his last two submission wins were both guillotine chokes. Again, he's he's very high energy, very high level. Doesn't really gas out. I kind of think Roy Val might catch him in a guillotine maybe in late round two, maybe early round three. Once Askoff kind of shows some more laboring behind his takedowns and stuff, maybe, maybe Roy Val, who doesn't gas at all, may catch, may catch him in a guillotine choke for sure. Yeah, I think another thing with Roy Val that I noticed watching a couple of his older fights is he does tend to keep his hands down a lot, which Askarov isn't the heaviest hands in the world. He doesn't have the heaviest hands in the world. But I mean, I don't know. What I saw with Roy Val, he does keep his hands down a little too much. Makes me a little uncomfortable. So, I mean, Askarov could catch him. But I've got unanimous precision Askarov. So, let's go to the next one. Martinez I'm, Swanson. I'm glad you guys have different picks because I was about to ask you guys to do like a little friendly competition where we go you guys go through the entire card everybody puts out their picks and then after the event which we'll talk about it next episode we'll see who the winner is who who had the bigger better picks so we'll do that after you guys are done deep diving we'll just run through them real quick and then you guys will do your picks yeah so uh so martinez and swanson as you said gavin uh i want to say something about jonathan martinez he's kind of been the unheralded fighter at bantamweight. I mean, came in the UFC in, in 2018, had a loss to Andre Shukumtoth, got two wins, lost to Andre Ewell, a very, very close fight. I thought he won that fight, to be honest with you. Two more wins, lost to Davey Grant, and then he's riled up three wins in a row since then. He's kind of become a very, very technical boxer at this bantamweight division. He trains in Colorado, some of the best coaches there. I'm excited to see what he can do here against Cub Swanson, who's, of course, a legend. But I think we'll be at this. He's a legend. He's a guy that has, you know, what, 40 pro fights. He's been in the UFC for a very, very long time. 
And I was worried when, when Cub Swanson lost to Shane Burgos in 2019. I thought he was done, right? I thought he was kind of past his prime, past his fighting ability. Gets two wins in a row versus Kron Gracie and Dino Pineda. Then beats Darren Elkins his last time out after a loss to Kiko Chikadze. So that fight versus Darren Elkins was just amazing. Cub Swanson looked fresh as could be. He dominated that fight as long as it lasted. And now we have a big fight here. Coleman event this Saturday versus Jonathan Martinez. Yeah, this is definitely an interesting one. I mean, Martinez, like you said, I think he's really sharp in his craft. He's looking better and better. He's 15-4 and four in the bantamweight division. He's not ranked. He's on a three-win three fight streak, like you said. He's got seven wins by KO. He's fought some pretty good talent, but obviously he hasn't taken on anybody too crazy as far as ranking goes or talent wise um so i think he's he's got a lot to prove i think he's this is a great great matchup for him especially going against cub who like you said i mean absolute og legend in the ufc game cubs 28 and 12 he's got 13 wins by ko in his career the thing about cub in this fight though i mean he's such a big question mark i mean we know we all know as ufc fans cub is a legend in the UFC. We've seen Cub in his prime. We've seen what Cub can do. He's got heavy hands. He can submit you on the ground. He's got a very good all-around game. But like you were mentioning, I mean, we haven't seen Cub in a while. So yeah. we haven't seen old Cub in a while for sure. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a question mark with Cub. I think obviously if Cub comes out and he's active and he, he looks a little bit like prime Cub, I think I think it's going to be good for him. So I think with that being said, this is going to either be, I hate to put it in these kind of, this terminology, but I think it'll either be the rise or fall of Cub Swanson in this fight. Yeah, I'm picking Martinez in this one V decision. I think he's just too quick and, and too technical for Cub at this moment of Cub's career. Now, Cub Swanson, though, it's his first fight at bantamweight. So he's moving down from featherweight when he fought Darren Elkins his last time out. So kind of a weird dynamic there to be 38 years old, 40 pro fights in, moving down in weight. We'll see how we'll, I, I guess we'll wait and see what happens, right? I mean, we'll see if that pays off for him or doesn't pay off for him. Either way, he's going to try to make the 135 limit or 136 pound limit uh, this weekend. Uh, now, I want to say one thing too about Cub Swanson. He had the best fight in this review see that I've, I've ever seen versus Duho Choi in 2016. That was the best oh, yeah. fight I've ever seen. Unreal fight. I'm a big Duho Choi fan myself as well. So, see that kind of fight happen, that big card, where I, be, I believe it was Holloway Pest for the main event on that card. Uh, super exciting fight. He's a super exciting fighter, a big, big legend of the sport, and maybe Hall of Famer too in that regard. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that fight up. I'm pretty sure that fight's in the UFC Hall of Fame. It was that's that right. great. Oh, that is, it is. Yep, that's right. It's one of the greatest fights of all time for sure, and it's in the UFC Hall of Fame as far as fights go, which is amazing. But you said you said you're going Martinez. I am. Yep. Mm, this this is a hard one, man. Like I said, this is just so many different variables here for sure. It's such a big question mark. Because like I said, I mean, Martinez, I mean, this is, I don't know. Do you, do you think that Swanson is one of like the biggest step up as far as competition goes for Martinez so far in his career? I think so. But Cub going down in weight just makes me a little bit hesitant to pick him, in my opinion. And I think Martinez is getting better. Whereas Swanson, I, I know we got a good win last time out, but it was against a guy who's you know had a bit of a weak chin lately. So I don't know. It's a tough fight to pick. I could take going either way, in my opinion, but I'm going with Martinez. It'd be a very, very close decision to win. Okay. I guess I'll go Swanson. I'll go on the opposite side of you. <laughs> I'll go Swanson. I'll go Swanson by, you know what, we'll, we'll go out on a, on a limb and say Swanson by second round submission. All right, all right, all right. <laughs>
and then uh, some other fighters to watch on this weekend's card. Uh, well, the fight to watch would be Nick Maximoff versus Jacob Malkoon. Oh, yeah. Two, two protégés here. Maximoff is the big protégé of the Diaz brothers. Malkoon, the training partner of Robert Whitaker. So two kind of wrestling submission level guys here, or heavy guys here, I should say. Uh, should be a good fight. I picked Malkoon in this one via decision. I don't think Maximoff is up to that level with wrestling as Malkoon is right now at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, it is a fight night, so we're seeing a lot of uh, prospects. And with that, I think, like I mentioned on the last one, there's a, there's a bunch of question marks as far as these fighters go. Uh, we've got two, like you said, unranked. I would consider them both prospects in the middleweight division at this point. We've got yeah. Maximov, 8-1, and one, and then we've got Malkoon at 6-2. and two. Both of them are coming off a loss, so I guarantee both of them have a pretty big chip on their shoulder, and they want to prove something. Uh, we've got Maximov. He lost his last fight to, I believe it was Petrosky in a first-round submission. Then Malkoon came off his loss against Brendan Allen in June of this year um, by a unanimous, unanimous decision, and then before that, he lost to one of my favorite fighters and prospects and phil haas yes, sir. So, uh, with malcone losing to two I, i'd consider alan we've talked a little bit about alan i'd consider him a prospect as well at this point losing to those two i would say pretty high level i would i guess mid-level working yeah. on high level uh for those to be his only two losses i'm gonna go malcone as well um i don't really i i the last maximoff fight he got he got caught in that submission pretty quickly. It was a pretty quick first-round submission sub. So with how good Malkoon is on the ground and having that background, I think I'm going to do Malkoon by submission second round in this one as well. Yeah, and Malkoon's got that like sneaky strength, right? He's not the the buffest, not the you know most chiseled guy, right? But he's got that big takedown strength. Where I think in this fight, I wouldn't be shocked if Maximov spends a lot of time on his back or on the cage in some regard. 100%. Let's, uh, let's highlight some of the other prospects on this card. So we've got Pierre Rodriguez, we've got, let's see, Taira, and then we've got Alonzo Minifield. So starting off, let's talk about Pierre Rodriguez. She's 8-0 in the women's strawweight division. She's got five wins by KO. She's coming off, or sorry, she's coming straight out of season five of Dana White's Contender Series, which I talked about earlier, man. It's super, super exciting because I do love Dana White's Contender Series to see these people get their contract and then go straight into the UFC. Uh, she impressed the boss really quick with her very, very fast hands. And if you watch that fight, I mean, she has an unlimited gas tank, it seems. So she's definitely one who knows how to score points on the scorecard. So what do you think about her? Yeah, I think she beat Kay Hansen in April this year as well. So, you know, good fighter, kind of, yeah, very technical boxer, very good, you know, jab, very good right hand as well. Kind of the fighter that's going to kind of build up quantity over quality in terms of damage, right? Kind of a big volume striker. I picked her in this fight over Sam Hughes. Um, I mean, I think Rodriguez has the future to be a really, really good contender in this UFC. I agree. I think she's going to keep the streak alive. Let's do... Uh... Testuro Taira, 11-0 in the men's flyweight division. He's got five submission wins and seven first-round finishes. Yeah, He's crazy. super young, super ruthless. I'm really excited to see how he improved off his last uh, win. I think, I mean, he's, he's pretty, pretty promising from what I've seen. Obviously, hasn't gone against too crazy of competition yet. He's still young. 11-0 in the men's flyweight. The flyweight division is one of those divisions right now. It's kind of a toss-up. Obviously, we've got Pantoja. We've got Brandon Moreno. We've got Figgy. 
we've got Askar and we've got Brandon. Those are kind of the top guys sitting up there. But like we were talking about earlier, they've all kind of fought each other and we've seen we've seen all. I mean, Brandon and Figure are fighting now four times. So to have somebody that's 11 and 0, super young in that division, five subs and then seven first round finishes, very exciting. What do you think about him? Yeah, I'm definitely rolling with him on Saturday night for sure. I mean, and you say this, you know, he's he has a pretty good record for or at least opponent's record, right? A lot of these fighters come out of the the Asian circuit. They kind of get not necessarily easier fights, but they they don't get the, the toughest matchups, right? They're they're fighting you know guys who are you know three and three, five and seven, whatever it might be. Uh, but he did that for a fee fight, and then he fought someone you know who was twenty four and 13, 38 and eighteen, thirteen and five, six and two, and these are all. And these are all wins, so he does have some good opponent records that he's beaten. He's still just 22 years old. He's five foot seven. I'm going to make a statement this Saturday night with this, with a submission win over CJ Vergara. Yeah, for sure. I meant like yeah, 100%. He does have. He's he's beaten some people that have really they've got great records. I just meant in terms of names. He hasn't obviously Definitely. taken on anybody big names, but I guarantee. If he gets a win coming up, twelve and zero. Depending on how he does it too, if he impresses the boss, I could see yep. him getting a. He could move up in the flyweight really quickly because, like I said, there's just the same people sitting up there at the top right now. He could fight so, Ricky Morton next too because you know it's a pretty it's a pretty shallow-ish division, right? It's the lowest, the the lightest division in men's UFC, so it's kind of you know shallow in some regards. So he may get a big step up if he can get a good win on Vergara this Saturday night for sure. hundred percent. I'm I'm actually going with him as well. I don't know if I said that already, but he's also my pick. So. Lastly, let's talk about this guy. He's he's been in the UFC news for I feel like it's been forever. I think everybody's just like, oh, he's got the potential. Oh, he doesn't. It's it's a it's he's a big question mark still in my eyes. Let's talk about Alonzo Minifield. We all know him. He's twelve and three. I guess you could consider him still a prospect in the levy. Sorry, light heavyweight uh, division. He's got insane power. Nine wins by KO. Super exciting to watch as far as KO power goes. Um, the downfall is, this is why I kind of hesitated to call him a prospect, is he is 34 years old. So what do you think? What do you think about him? What's your opinion? Yeah, very promising. At one point in his career, he was, I believe, undefeated with a knockout win over Paul Craig. Then he had some gas tank problems, right? Lost Devin Clark when he completely gassed out and started gassed out for St. Prue when he got knocked out by St. Prue in the, in the second round there. So, you know, he's won three of his last four, had a great win over Mokseroff, his last fight night out first round elbow finish in that in that fight so some promising things happening with him but again he's 34 years old but if he can get a win uh, over the veteran as well uh Sirkunov, that could be a big step up for my for manifield right the time is kind of getting over the essence a little bit here so if he can get a big win on saturday night i think he could get a big opponent for the next next fight yeah i agree i was about to ask you that as well i was gonna say i think if uh if alonzo can pull off um i would say i think honestly for him if he he would have to secure a knockout win and i think if he does that this weekend he'll get rewarded with probably around like a 12 to 15 ranked opponent other if he just gets a win by decision or something like that i don't really know what's next for alonzo um just because like we're saying he's 34 years old he's had his times in the ufc he's also had his downfalls in the ufc so he's a question mark right now so i think like i said ko win i think he'll definitely get maybe a 12 to 15 ranked guy for sure i think he is favored i am picking menifield to win being knock out Sirkinov, his opponent at one point began his career four and only ufc with four finishes then he fought for vulcan uzdemir got KO'd in the first like 30 seconds and he's not been the same since he's lost six of his last eight fights with a few knuckle losses mixed in there as well so 
kind of a a big fight for Sirkinov too. I think if if he does lose this fight, he might be out of the UFC. So kind of a maybe we'll see him go a little harder this fight against Menfield, but I'm still going with Menfield to win be knockout this Saturday night. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm going to go, I'm rooting for Alonzo. I hope he can turn it around and uh, get a ranked opponent for his next fight. So I'll go Minifield. I'll go KO. Let's do first round. What do you think? What round you got KO since you said KO? I'm going with round two, maybe. He withstands some pressure from circling off, wins a couple of shots in the first round, comes out heavy round two, round two KO. I like it. I like it. So let's get into it. Main event time. We've got Grosso, the number five women's flyweight division she's 14 and 3 she's on a 3 what or excuse me fight win streak super underrated and in my opinion super underappreciated as well her last loss was to current women's strawweight champion Carla Sparza so that speaks levels to that as well then the opposing we've got Vivian Arahu who is the number 6 women's flyweight division she's 11 and 3 she's fresh off a win against Lee um in may of this year before that she lost to the women's flyweight number one contender in uh chukagan and then she had a loss against jessica i before that so what do we think yeah i'm going with grosso here i mean her last fight versus joanne wood was just dominance i mean it was we'd never seen her take a fight to the ground that quick and get that quick of a submission that's a pretty good ground fighter in wood in, in herself so grosso ton of potential right now still of course but is flying very, very high right now. Uh, she's, I believe, 29 years old, too. So she could be a future title shot contender, in my opinion, with a big win over Arahujo this Saturday, this Saturday night. And she's been really good, too. I mean, you know, her only losses are to Herrig, Suarez, and Esparza, you know. Unfortunately, we haven't seen Suarez in a while. She's been hurt. But losing to Esparza is not a bad thing. She's a champion right now. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Grosso come out. She's a very, very heavy boxer, a very volume-heavy boxer, trained with fellow boxer out of her gym in Iran, Aldana. They're doing great things down there at Team Lobo MMA in Mexico. Looking forward to seeing Grosso come out here on Saturday night and get the win. I'm going with Grosso for sure. Yeah, I'm going to go Grosso as well, but going back to Grosso, um, obviously I did bring up that she did have that loss against the current strawweight champ Carla Sparza, but before that her only loss was to one of my favorite contenders she's been gone I think you did bring her up Tatiana Suarez I think she could also be a, a potential champ in that division as well and before Tatiana uh, she lost to Felice Herrig who I mean she's definitely got her name sustained in the UFC especially in the women's division so that was also very early in her career. That was in 2017. Grosso lost to Felice Herrig. So, I mean, I, th I don't think those losses weigh very heavy on her. Uh, she's also beaten uh, Macy Barber, the future, who is a super high-level, talented prospect. I'm sure most of you know who Macy Barber is. So having a win over Macy is also very big for Grosso. And I think that Grosso can really mix it up as far as her... She's got super, super fast hands. But... You talked about it a little last fight. She showed us that she can get on the ground and she can really throw up some submissions. And uh, she's very dangerous, man. Very, very dangerous. Definitely. A uh, quick thing to start. I, I wish we saw Suarez fight as well, Gavin. I mean, she was so good when she was fighting. I think she has a neck injury still going on. But she fights here at Lindenwood in St. Louis, Missouri. Great fighter, winner of, the, winner of Tough, season 23. I hope to see her back in here sometime soon in the UFC. But yeah, I think Grasso's kind of really defining her game right now to be a boxing and ground game. She's done great on the ground, of course, with that win over Joanne Wood. So we're kind of seeing the best Grosso right now, right? We're seeing her do some ground stuff, do some some working with her hands, right? So 
I think on Saturday night, on Saturday night, we we will see the best version of Grasso, and we will see a complete performance in route to a win. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Um, I think watching Vivian's last fight against Lee, she kept her hands down a lot, and uh, she's got a chin for sure. Vivian's got a chin, but with like I said, Grasso's lightning quick hands and super, she's got pretty heavy hands too. I think uh, I don't think Vivian's chin's gonna hold up for that long, so I think it's gonna be uh, TKO. Let's do. I'm like in the second round for some reason. I'm going to say TKO, second round, Grasso win. That is my pick as well, Gavin. Actually, I did that on Typology this morning. Grasso would be a round two TKO. Let's do it. There we go. All right. Let's talk about some MMA me, news real quick. Let me let me go through the the whole all the cards, and then I'll I'll say the names, and you guys say your picks, and then we'll Good. just go through all of them real quick, all right? I'm going to start with the prelims. Uh, Mike Jackson, Pete Rodriguez. Mm. I'm going Rodriguez. I got Rodriguez too. All right. Uh Tyara Vergara. Tyra. Tyara. All right. Pierre Rodriguez, Sam Hudges. Hughes. It's it's Rodriguez. Hughes. I'm going Rodriguez. Yeah, Rodriguez. Rodriguez as well. again. All right. Brito Alexander. Brito. All right. Alexander Maximum. doesn't have a profile picture, so I'm gonna go Alexander. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh Nick Maximov, Jacob Malkoon. I'm going Malkoon. Malkoon as well. He's he's actually the underdog. I didn't know that. He's plus 120, Devin. The Diaz bias, maybe. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rafael versus Victor Henry. Oh, that's well, an Henry. interesting one. I'm, I'm going, yeah, Henry had a great debut. In, uh, he actually beat Rowney Barcelos. I'm going with Henry in this one. Yeah, Henry's pretty exciting in that bantamweight division. I'm going to go Henry Definitely. as well. All right. Uh, Mana Martinez and Brandon Davis. Going Davis. Yeah, Davis is a pretty good lock on that one. He's actually the underdog, too. All right, Misha Alonzo in the main card. Alonzo. Menafield. Okay, okay, okay. Jordan Wright, uh, Dusko Todorovic. I'm going Todorovic in that one. Let's go Wright. Okay, okay. Um, Askar Askarov, Brandon Royval. Rod Dog Royval. I've got Askar. Okay, okay, I like it. Cub Swanson and Jonathan Martinez. Martinez for Devin. We're going to do Cub over here. All right, and finally, I know both of you guys said Grasso, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, we're going to see a rise in Mexican fighters, and I love it. We've got Grasso. We're we're locking in those. That's in with Grasso, Aldana, a few others there as well. Aldana's going to be champion at some point soon, too, for sure. Yeah, we're going to lock in those answers, and then one of you guys is going to be shamed next week. Whoever whoever has the, the the worst amount of points, least amount of points, I guess, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> you guys take it away with quick MMA news, and then we'll wrap up the episode. Yeah. So some sec- uh, some interesting tidbits from over the last week in MMA slash UFC news. We had Kevin Holland's fight got announced. Uh, he retired for one day, and then or said he retired for one day, and then the next day his fight got announced for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. For the Orlando card, December 3rd. I believe it's the main event, too. Uh, should be a really good fight for him. Good test versus a good veteran in Thompson. Excited for that fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was awesome. I mean, Kevin Kevin's only 29 years old, and he's such a promising prospect. He's got a good fan base as well. I think that he needed to spark something after being ran over by Hamzat, which... It's no disrespect. I mean, Hamzat is one of the most talented people in the UFC right now. So I think Holland 
I'm sure his media team or something told him to do it. I mean, it, it was it was genius in my eyes. I mean, after being beaten by Hamzat, I think since he is still young and promising and he's a big prospect, I think he needed to spark up some news, spark up some controversy, and he did it amazingly. And then now he's got a fight against Stephen Thompson, who is, I think, isn't Stephen Thompson still top 10 in his division? I believe so, yeah. So fighting somebody who's moving up in the ranks for... Uh, for Holland again. So Holland's getting another opportunity to move up in that division. So very exciting. I mean, Wonder Boy, I think, let me see. Wonder Boy, his last win was in, let's see. I think it was in like 2019. So was it the Luke fight, maybe? I think so. Let's see. I, I mean, it's it's been a while. In a couple of years for sure. So, I mean, it's exciting because, I mean, Steven Wonderboy is pretty iconic as far as the UFC goes. So I'm excited to see what Wonderboy's been doing. His last loss was against uh Bilal muhammad last year in december and then before that was burns and then he got a win against neil magny in 29 2020 excuse me gotcha. 2020 so yeah that's exciting i'm excited for it in other news we got the fight that was matched up of a uh, shavkat rachmanov a very hot penny rookie this year 2022 versus jeff neal very hot jeff neal very exciting promising jeff neal that's going to be january 14th on the tba location fight night now it should be noted this is a three-round fight and the main event on this card is Gaslam versus Nasruddin Imavov in my opinion I know there's like things in that we don't maybe maybe don't know in terms of like who wanted a three-round fight who wanted a five-round fight but Rachmanov versus Neil probably should be the main event at least in my opinion over Imavov and Gaslam but thus we are here we have Gaslam even Imavov being the main event I would assume Rachmanov versus Neil is the co-main event but should be a really good card for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a massive, massive announcement. I mean, Shavkat is, if you're a collector investor, I mean, Shavkat's one of the hottest rookies um, in product right now. That's what everybody wants. I mean, he is unranked, but he is undefeated. Massive prospect. And then we've got Jeff Neal, which, I mean, hands of steel, Jeff Neal. He fought Luke. Luke, everybody knows Luke. Very heavy hands. Awesome prospect in Luke. Neil got a big win over Luke. I think he surprised a lot of people. So Jeff is now, I believe, number six in the division. So for unranked Shavkat being undefeated, getting uh, a fight against the number six Jeff Neal, it's going to be exciting. I think you bringing up the whole round thing is also going to be massive as far as how that fight plays out. Because, I mean, Shavkat's one of those guys, if you've seen Shavkat, uh, he's relentless on taking you down and keeping you down, uh, either attacking submissions or ground and pound. So if it is three rounds, I feel like Jeff might have a better chance, even though I probably do have Shavkat in that. If it's three rounds, I mean, Jeff's got pretty, I mean, hands of steel. So you never know what could happen. Yeah, definitely. One more quickly on that fight is a big opportunity for Shavkat, but also a big opportunity for Jeff Nilo to really reclaim his spot as a potential title challenger for sure i mean he was viewed at that as one point had a couple of close losses but now the chance to really beat a big name a big up-and-coming name and submit himself in that top five also um, announced yeah. over the week was a that ufc 284 will take place february 11th in perth australia now i think we can probably expect there to be a lot of fighters from down under on this card i'm sure we'll see volkanovsky or maybe we'll see volkanovsky della madalena Jamie Malarkey, Jake Matthews. Uh, should be a fun time to see some of the Australian and New Zealand fighters come out to fight on this card. Yeah, no, this is so exciting. I mean, 
for us as UFC fans and for people that collect and invest in UFC cards, I mean, the more worldwide that the UFC grows, the more places we get to go back to or even pop up in new places as far as UFC events go. I mean, the better for the market and the UFC cards. So, I mean, I'm hoping maybe we could see Volkanovski main event versus maybe the likes of Yair, Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater, maybe one of those guys. Maybe we'll see, like you said, uh, Madalena or Malarkey or maybe even Matthews. So, I mean, it's very exciting. I hope it's it's pretty Australian heavy because there's so many Australian fighters Definitely. that if they get to fight over in Australia, I think that's going to be so cool and very exciting. So I'm pumped for it. I am too. And then the last new bit of news for this show is a little bit bittersweet, a little bit sad, but it was announced over the week that Shogun Ruba's last fight or seeming to be retirement fight will take place at UFC 283 in Rio, Brazil, January 21st. He'll be taking on Eeyore Porteria. Shogun, I mean, he's 40 years, he's 40 years old. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem too old, right? He's only 40 years old, but came to the UFC, I believe it was, you know, 20, 2007. So, you know, been around for so long. Was a big champion in Pride, of course. Had a great career, former champion in the UFC. Has had some rough times the past couple of fights to Paul Craig and Ovin St. Prue. Looked a little bit slower, but good for Shogun to go out on his own terms with a good fight later this early next year against Porteria. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. I think it's just a, a very bittersweet kind of situation. I think this is what we kind of wanted as UFC fans to see with Jose. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So we're seeing it with Shogun. I mean, Shogun, like you said, absolute legend in the UFC game. I mean, he's an OG. 27 13 and 1 for the career i mean there's nothing better than him being able to retire in his home country and put down the gloves there so hopefully he gets a win gets to retire on a good note i mean i'm I'm rooting for him i'm glad i'll say one quick thing about this fight i am a big fan of retirement fights i know a lot of people maybe aren't because they think it takes away from their opponent takes away from you know it puts the, it puts the focus on you right it puts the focus on the fighter who's retiring, not the fighter who they're fighting in some regard. But I think for a guy who's as big, as well-known, former champion like Shogun, to fight in Brazil for what, you know, very well could be, his, and very well will be his last fight, to me is a very positive thing. Brazil fans will go out there for sure. I'm, I'm positive they'll be there, of course, and, and they'll be there cheering on Shogun until the final bell. Yeah, now to have that um, before... Moreno and Figgy number four. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be an awesome night. And obviously, going back to Rio, last time the UFC was in Rio, I mean, sparks were flying. It was electric in there. So to that card already being built with Shogun being on there, and then we've got Brandon and Figgy number four coming up in Rio. I think it's just going to be an amazing night. I'm expecting a very raucous, ruckus, ruckus, whatever the word is, crowd. It's going to be <laughs> exciting, very loud, very. Uh... Very charismatic crowd there, so it should be a good fight yeah. atmosphere for Shogun. For to sure. start the uh, to start the new year too, pretty That's much, right. which right. is so cool. I think yeah. it couldn't be per. It's so perfect. I love when they do this. And That's on right. that note, thank you everyone so much for listening to the second episode of Cards of the Octagon. Thank you, Devin. Thank you, Gavin, for hosting. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Cards of the Octagon. Follow us on Twitter at Cards Octagon. And subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash Cards of the Octagon. Go follow 
Um, 314 Sports Cards at 314 Sports underscore cards on Instagram and Twitter. Follow at All Time Cards both on Instagram and Twitter. And follow me at Food Film Fahad on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we are looking forward to episode three. Uh, we're looking forward to this fight night. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll catch you guys in the next one. Signing out.